0: Case file number six point zero five, no solace in quantum, observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw, still working on this Gibson thing. Don't, no, Chief. You you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. Nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No, how is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. And and the other one, the other one, Ymir. He's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? <laughs> Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later, they're going to slip up, and I will catch them hacking the Gibson.
1: Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker.
2: Have you ever searched for something on the internet, and something else was all of the results? Like you didn't even get close to what you were looking for.
1: Yeah, hey, all the time.
2: So, I wanted to do an episode on quantum computers breaking encryption.
0: Hmm, okay. I searched
2: for quantum cryptography, and that's not what I got. I got a whole set of things that I don't even think I ever heard about using quantum effects for cryptography, which is completely unrelated well not completely unrelated it still has to do with like quantum quantum physics effects and stuff like that but it has nothing to do with breaking encryption
1: right yeah yeah
2: so like i put in quantum and cryptography and this is what i got then i said all right okay 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 quantum crypto analysis still got the same set of links (laughs) (laughs) but i eventually found what i was looking for but before we get into the crypto analysis stuff I figure I'll just go through the bare bones of what that quantum cryptography stuff is since, Mm. you know, I ran into it and it doesn't warrant an episode on its own at this point, but this is a good place to squeeze it in. Right. Yeah. There's a guy named Steven Wisner who came up with the idea of quantum conjugate coding, basically that you can use quantum effects for key exchange in order to generate your key, your, your, your keys. So your keys are, effectively unbreakable they're much stronger than or at least they're much more resistant to computational analysis than digital encryption
1: Mm,
2: right so i mean again we're going to do a fairly brief one on 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 this there's a lot of research much of which goes kind of like way over my head
0: Uh, i feel like
1: this is the case with like most quantum things i remember i bought a like beginner's intro book to like quantum mechanics and the first page was like, like, yeah, you better have a PhD in mathematics. I was like, oh, this is not beginners, as I see it.
2: See, the problem is with everything quantum is that you don't know if you do or you don't understand
1: it. That is very true. Yeah.
2: So the the most proven thing at this point, there's been some a bunch of theoretical ideas, many of which I struggle to even figure out what problem they're trying to solve. But the thing that that, that they've got a real developed thing for is a thing called QKD.
1: QKD, okay
2: and what it is is a is a system for doing a key exchange that can't be intercepted
1: Hmm, okay
2: and it's using quantum physics to do so the main example is you have a fiber optic cable between two points Mm -hmm. with the classic alice and bob
0: Um, right yeah
2: no classic cryptography example you have alice and bob trying to keep communications away from from eve and uh As we learned from Horst Feistel in the Crypto Wars episode, at that point, cryptography was the only people who needed secret messages were lovers and thieves. I think that Eve is Bob's wife and Alice and Bob are having an affair.
1: Ooh. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: This is the missing plot of the whole story that we've been getting with every crypto example for
1: decades. (laughs) It'd be interesting. Every author kind of knows like a little bit of the story and they're all like running it.
2: Uh, so you have Alice and Bob, and they want to communicate with one another securely. They have a fiber optic cable between them, and they have a source of a photon stream on one side, and basically a detector and a beam splitter on the other. And they send a stream of photons. They're going to have different quantum polarities on them, and they're going to use the beam splitter to, to split off one set of po- photons for the other, and. The configuration of that beam splitter is a thing is a pre-shared element. Hmm, okay. Now the thing about this is, this gives you a sets of a set of ones and zeros that you need in order to create a digital key for whatever you're doing. And if somebody tries to observe a stream of photons in the middle, you actually run into quote quantum effects where any attempt to observe those photons disrupts them. Right. So if anybody's trying to observe it. The whole system falls down, so it is tamper evident regardless of
1: what you do. Mm, yeah, okay. that's interesting.
2: The thing is that QKD has been done not just in like academic exercises. China has a a so some of the stuff I was reading saying that the, the limitation of this of the of the fiber optic lines is like five hundred kilometers. They have a two thousand kilometer network between four cities in China operational. Really? Yeah. And they have a technique, and I couldn't find any description on how this worked, and I don't understand how it would in relation to what we were just talking about, about like a single stream of photons, but they have a satellite system working. And they were able to connect from, I think they said Beijing to Vienna in Austria in 2017. Damn, okay. Now, see, the thing is, because of all of the equipment you need at both ends in order to make the key exchange mechanisms work and this is for like streamed communication stuff this isn't useful at all for like data warehousing or anything Mm -hmm. and it's probably only good for symmetric type key uh, not necessarily symmetric key applications but applications that you would use a symmetric algorithm for right right one of the questions around it is like how widely useful is it Mm -hmm. i originally my original reading i was like hey maybe this isn't so useful this is kind of a Curiosity at, at this point until there's another like breakthrough. But given what I just actually found today about the about the China network, I didn't put it in my notes, but I think maybe I can quickly find the name of the of the widget they were using. So they had a network called the Micus M I C I U S Quantum Communications Network. Okay, um, and again. They started building it in 2016, and it's it, it worked. That might be useful for, like, telecom-to-telecom telecom communications. Right. But it's probably not useful down to the end user, at least not with what we currently know it requires.
1: Yeah, you said 2017, it was working. Is it still, or was it just a proof of concept?
2: The article in Physics World that I'm looking at right now suggests that it is in actual continuous operation okay it doesn't state it explicitly but like the way it's worded would suggest that it is that it wasn't a one-time thing that this is a, a real operational network
1: very cool okay
2: and and looking at that and how they've proven it out it's probably like potentially very useful so you could have secure backbone using this kind of technique right yeah yeah which is cool but it's not useful for all of the applications we use digital cryptography for today. Like a lot of the things that we were talking about, the whole set of stuff that we talked about on the DES episodes was really about kind of data warehousing. I need to save this thing, and it needs to be resistant from analysis for some period of time.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
2: And this has this has no application in that in those kinds of applications, for example. Right. None of the data at rest kind of kind of things.
1: So purely just communication based.
2: Yes, and again, there there's there's a non-trivial burden at both ends of communication in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of the ideas of key exchange over the same communication medium, the the original ideas that Whitfield Diffie came up with with the whole Diffie Hellman key exchange and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is kind of from a like capabilities point of view like as in terms of like use cases not necessarily security is a little bit of a step back in, mm. in the usability of cryptography again i'm not saying it's not useful but it's not a drop-in replacement for the existing stuff for the the cryptography that we've talked about and i did all those episodes in the crypto wars about
1: right um, yeah, yeah
2: anyway so it's interesting but it's a little bit of a curiosity at this point for pretty much everything you and i and probably our listeners are going to need to work with for very conservatively at least five years. I'm thinking more like 20. Mm, yeah. <laughs> in part because things tend to move very slow slowly in the crypto world in terms of like reliable and adoption of new crypto stuff. Right, um, yeah. Along with like the whole development of the technology. But what we actually wanted to talk about was quantum computing and quantum crypto analysis and what do we do, you know, after Quantum computers of sufficient power are available, and stuff like that.
1: What do we do with all those qubits?
2: Yes, it almost brings us back to the '80s game Qbert.
1: Mm. Yes, that was one game.
2: I was gonna try and make some jokes about that, but I was like, nobody's
1: gonna get it. Nobody. It gonna was gonna ahead of it. its time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was just thinking. Like, I wonder if you could make a game based on a quantum entangled platformer. Huh. But that that is that is not what this podcast. Is. Anyway, so. Extremely simply, which is about the only way I can really put it. What quantum computing is, is instead of storing data in a yes no way, you can also have something that's a lot of my dad would call a maybe state when he was talking about this stuff because my dad was both a computer guy and a physics guy or is. But what it really is is kind of both states at once.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Potentially. And then you have from each data bit, you have an entanglement, a potential of entanglement between those things. So, what it allows you to do is very conceptually essentially compute the answers of multiple variations of a problem, in our case, a key space at the same time. Right. Yeah. Again, this is like for any real physics or any real quantum people out there, this is trying to explain it to an even more layman than me. Um, (laughs) I don't think conceptually I'm completely off base, but I understand in actuality, there's always with quantum and it depends. So... (laughs) Um, So like you said, a qubit and the sizing of all quantum computers is based in the qubit. And it's basically the whole... Apparatus around the the around the the actual quantum state of each discrete piece of bit of, of of kind of that problem space. The thing is that not all qubits are qubits. The actual apparatus is a physical qubit, hmm. but. A lot of the problems with using straight physical qubits is that there's a lot of quantum noise and and potential quantum decoherence effects that interfere with entanglement or might affect the qubit.
1: Right, right.
2: So you actually have to team a bunch of physical qubits together to make what's called a logical qubit. Okay. And this is actually a really kind of crazy thing because some of the quantum articles, are talking about physical qubits and some of them are talking about logical qubits. Mm -hmm. And the articles tend not to discriminate between the two at all. Oh, okay. Um, One of the articles I was reading was that there was a D-Wave quantum computer that broke the thousand qubit barrier in
1: 2015. Okay, I I vaguely remember reading about that. Yeah.
2: And that was used for the basis of a lot of research. Like people jumped straight off of that. But currently, if you Google the largest quantum computer right now... What you'll get is the IBM Osprey computer, and that's rated at 433 qubits. Okay. I'm pretty sure that the D-Wave system they were talking about was physical qubits, and the Osprey system is logical qubits. Oh, really? Okay. Okay because it's 7 years later and the Osprey system and IBM is very proud of this and probably justifiably I'm no person to judge but like <laughs> they tend not to toot their own horn when there isn't something there right uh, yeah because that 433 qubits is about 3 times the Eagle quantum computer that they showed off last year at 127 qubits right and again you google it they're in front now maybe not everybody's publishing, but chances are, if that's where IBM thinks it's at, it is unlikely anybody is massively in front of them. This is not the kind of situation where the behind the scenes stuff goes way ahead of industry.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So there's this confusion. I'm making the assumption that the D Wave 1000 qubits is physical qubits and the Osprey IBM 433 qubits is logical qubits. Makes sense. So there's this thing called Rose's Law, which is basically quantum computing's Moore's Law. Moore's Law, number of transistors, therefore, we analogize to that to the number to the CPU power doubles every 18 months. Rose's law says is that the, the power of quantum computers has a, log, a, log, a logarithmic growth.
0: Hmm.
2: I think that's complicated because there's like, yeah, maybe you're getting more physical qubits at something resembling that rate. But it seems that there isn't a a straight arithmetical ratio between the number of logical qubits and the number of physical qubits. Right. So how much bigger your usable quantum computing gets probably does not conform to Rose's law at this point. And we're close enough to kind of the bottom of the graph right now, where projecting the line may be optimistic. (laughs) Because... A Fibonacci growth looks linear until you get out a little bit. Hmm. And then it start. I mean, it's kind of close to linear, and then it's totally
1: not. Yeah, right, right.
2: As an example of of like sometimes at the very low numbers, it like closer to the origin, it can be very hard to project out what your actual growth rate is. Even if like this is one of those things where we're not certain that it's going to completely follow a function. Hmm we know that from straight clock rate stuff, we've run into some walls in terms of how much smaller we can get things.
1: Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Although they've worked around that, but before they went to the multi-core mechanisms, there was a little bit of a blip in that graph Mm -hmm. because they ran into a technological problem. And sometimes there's a breakthrough in the other direction where, where things go up faster. So, so like, I don't know that we can progress that, but that's what they say. The roses law is the thing that you'll hear talked about. Anyway. So that's, the basics of quantum computers. So quantum crypto analysis started with this idea or started with Shor's law, S H O R or Shor's algorithm. So quantum computing algorithm around prime factorization. This was kind of the first, Hey, maybe we can use this for cracking cryptography. I believe that was in 96. He came up with this, sorry, 94, 94. He, he, he came up with it. And, Again, this assumes that you don't have any like problems with your qubits. So it makes an assumption of what we think of as logical qubits at this point. Although that wasn't really conceptually what they were talking about right now. There is like specifically stuff about if a sufficient number of qubits could be employed without a lot of quantum noise and decoherence, and that's how, what they're trying to correct for with logical qubits.
0: Okay. Um, okay
2: and in fact when they were tried to do some of this stuff in 2001 they never really got going because they kept having um entanglement failures with their with their qubits and stuff mm. now a little bit later you ended up with grover's algorithm and grover's algorithm was kind of building on shor's algorithm's idea and again for all of this math i don't understand it i tried <laughs> this episode took longer than I had expected because I tried to get something slightly conversant with the math. And I just, it's not, it's not there, but this was devised by Love Grover in 1996. And it's been the basis of all of the quantum crypto analysis and all you really know, need to know about it. If you're not, a quantum. And we're not trying to get into quantum computing. Is that it? Basically, takes whatever your your bits of randomness is for an algorithm, and takes the square root of it. Okay. Like in terms of its difficulty. So AES one twenty eight, which is two to the hundred twenty eighth bits of randomness, becomes a two to the sixty fourth problem. And I think we've talked about this a little bit. That's about in range of what regular computers could do. A like two to the sixty fourth problem. Right. Now, these things don't marry up. You have to use a quantum computer to take advantage of Grover's algorithm. So <laughs> yeah.
1: so,
2: so you can't just go magic quantum, and now I'm going to throw it through the, the highly developed algorithmic computers that we have.
0: Yeah. Or, it
2: doesn't work. Digital computers that we have. I should say digital. It's not not algorithmic. I, that might be have come from sci-fi. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure what I was talking about there. So the size of the quantum computers, we need to even do that. I was actually surprised at how difficult it was to find hard numbers about this. But one of the numbers I saw was like a 20 million qubit computer in order to apply Grover's algorithm to AES-128. Oh
1: yeah. So we got 433. So we're like a little less than halfway there.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the question of whether or not you believe Rose's law and whether or not logical qubits or or effectively qubits that are not subject to the the, you know your quantum noise quantum decoherence failures can go up at that rate because those numbers get big fast yeah but this is about what quantum cryptography can do this is what we're worried about we believe that like sha1 is a weak algorithm at this point because it's about 2 to the 60 seconds 2 to the 63rd Bits of randomness, right, right. When you incorporate the analysis work that was done in the in the mid mm-hmm. two thousands, two
0: thousand
2: four to through two thousand seven, there were several breakthroughs that significantly decreased the hundred twenty eight bits of randomness that SHA one was assumed to
1: have. Right, yeah.
2: So now we get to kind of the post quantum stuff. There are a whole set of research algorithms that I'm not going to get like deep into. That are specifically about trying to do things that are hard for quantum computers to solve. Right. They're like uh, NTRU, Encrypt, Rainbow, Sphinx, Bliss. There's just a whole pile of algorithms. Some of them are using like discrete logarithms, elliptical curves, stuff like that. Right. But, and this is kind of what prompted the episode is that in 2022, Came out with guidelines for, po- for and its first approved post-quantum cryptography algorithms.
0: Mm, okay.
2: And some of the stuff they're talking about is quantum-resistant algorithms, and then there's like quantum-proof algorithms. Mm. One thing, kind of the most important takeaway in my in my estimation, was that AES one or 256 was considered quantum-resistant because even with Grover's algorithm, you're at two to the 128 bits of randomness. Right. Yeah. You're significant like there's we still have some time before that's even projected at the most aggressive ideas of where that's going to be addressable by a quantum computer.
1: Right, right.
2: They are worried about some key length stuff with RSA of like 2 of of 2048. Mm. But in fact, what a lot of the the post-quantum directives are is essentially not using new algorithms but using larger key spaces with our existing algorithms. Okay. Yeah. Also, going to elliptical curve algorithms,
0: mm-hmm, right. uh,
2: elliptical curve is less addressable by quantum cryptography at this point. Mm. The assumptions, as I understand them from the Grover's algorithm, because it was actually a database indexing system when they started, started working with it, mm. specifically has to do with the use of digital key space. So, and again, I couldn't find anything really describing this but my understanding from what I did read is that the current Grover's algorithm technique doesn't apply as directly to elliptical curves. Hmm, okay. And this is one of those things where I, I, like I hesitate to say this because I'm really not sure I'm understanding this. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to give some facts to back up the idea that there isn't a cryptographic apocalypse with, the use of the algorithms that we, the use of the digital algorithms that we have available to us today, as long as we use sufficient key lengths.
1: Are you saying all the news articles that are usually like spot on were reporting on both science and IT related topics that were basically forecasting doom as soon as quantum computers come online, they were, yeah. they were wrong. They were fear mongering.
2: Yeah. I mean, Hey, <laughs> they gotta make a buck by writing this, by, by writing uh, their articles, right?
1: I mean, half of them seem to be AI-generated at this point, so there could be something going on there where they're they're giving us a full sense of security.
2: Are you saying the quantum computers and the artificial intelligence computers are conspiring against us?
1: I mean, I saw Terminator.
2: <laughs> anyway, so, I, I mean, the base conclusion is that it's not an apocalypse. We need key lengths, but we still have the warehousing problem. We were using 128 for a long time, the problem with a data warehousing mechanism that we've never really addressed for most systems is: what do you do with the previously encrypted stuff?
1: Yeah, are yeah. you
2: going to use the horsepower to decrypt and re-encrypt it? Because that's like never a thing people do.
1: Right.
2: But in terms of like modern communication, the movie of somebody having a quantum computer and being able to break your encryption—basically, somebody doing a Sneakers 2 using a quantum computer instead of a magic box that, that came up with a mathematical failure in the encryption, right. um, that's still a movie. That's not close to plausible at this point in time from everything that I read. And I think that when you hear the doom and gloom and you look at those articles, you will see some very hedged language because nobody's outright saying, oh God, we have to do something different with cryptography. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I do think, because especially after doing all the research for about DES and AES and everything, is that we do need to be thinking about transitioning sooner than later. The urgency to do the fundamental research and select quantum proof algorithms and stuff is probably warranted because again, the amount of time it takes to go from, the academic side to something that gets fully adopted in a production way and then gets disseminated and gets everybody to use it can be a very long process, mm, uh, Yes, at least in internet years. Um,
1: I mean, how many of us have adopted fully IPv6?
2: I'm a believer in V6. I think that V6, I talked about it in in previous episodes. I, I think that, that especially in the cloud world, V6 has, some advan- some distinct advantages over v4 even as a technology but that doesn't mean that we have adoption last i checked slashed annoyed my aws rep about about v6 in in their cloud like they support it but you can't Operate in a nat- in a real native V6 way, and they have not incorporated into their theory of operation. Now I'm getting on a- off on a V6 tangent. <laughs> I have so many very weird hot takes in my head that like three people I know understand.
0: Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.